0: and their essential love of justice.
2: Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for November 29th, 2020. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Katherine Smith.
3: Greetings from Atlanta.
0: And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir.
2: All right, excited about tonight's show. Here in about 20 minutes um, from Sports Illustrated, we're going to have... Julie Klingman, and she recently wrote an article about the Atlanta Dream and Kelly Loeffler and their uh, relationship, and, and as you know, we've talked about, of course, Kelly Loeffler a lot, but we've also talked about the, you know, how she's treated the Atlanta Dream uh, for a while now. And uh, I've been wanting to have a guest that really understood both the political and the sports aspect of this thing. And Julie's piece, if you hadn't seen it on Sports Illustrated site, definitely go see, read it. Um, but she has a handle on that, and so we're going to ask her all kinds of questions coming up in about 20 minutes. But until then, we've got all kind of other political um, topics to discuss, and uh, Donald Trump has been – uh, well, we'll Kent's in hiding because he likes to go to the golf course still, uh, but he's not been engaged in a lot of governmental activities recently uh, and campaign activities. But he did say that next week he's coming to Georgia to campaign for David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler. And then this morning he, uh, you know, kind of added more fuel to the fire and he said that he regrets endorsing Brian Kemp in the Republican uh, primary for governor. In 2018, um, Catherine and Tim, I'm going to ask you, and I'll I'll do it too. In this fight between Donald Trump and Brian Kemp, and we know we're not in the fan club of either one, Catherine, who do you have in this fight?
3: Uh, I have to say I'm going to go with Kemp. I, I think he's got more um, – you know, he's in and off. He's an elected official now, still. And Trump is not. And he's got a whole state that, you know, I mean, a lot of people like him. He was elected. Um, and he's got more, he will, he will have more ability to prove himself uh, in the coming time when Trump won't really, I mean, We'll see what Trump does, but I'm going to go with Kemp.
2: Okay, Tim, same question. Who you got between Trump and Kemp?
3: Well, there was the
0: old story years ago about um, Paul Zongas was asked, you know, about the winner of the Cold War. He said, well, the Cold War's over and the Japanese won. so I'm gonna pick a I'm gonna pick a winner, but not one of them two. The winner's gonna be Stacey Abrams. Don't you think? I mean, can't you just see the biggest smile breaking out on the face of Stacey Abrams when you know, Governor Kemp and Donald Trump go to savaging each other and Kemp is gonna have to strike back. So I'm gonna pick the winner is Stacy Abrams, David Wheat.
2: Tim, I teach computer science. And we talk a lot about binary, meaning it's a forced choice. It's either one or zero. It's off or on. It's true or false. There are no third options, Tim. In this, okay, you have uh, just Kemp and Trump. Who do you pick? Trump. Okay. Absolutely. Oh, you mean him to win? You know, win be you know, win this political Between argument. Absolutely. Okay. You absolutely see, you, 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 I think Catherine and I are thinking different, like a different angle to the question. But but see, Tim, I just treated you tougher than Maria Bartoloma treated Trump this morning on Fox News.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, well, I
2: actually forced you your know, feet the wall, to the fire on the company. Wall
0: could, the wall could have treated Trump. Tougher than she did, but go ahead.
2: <laughs> well, see, I think Catherine. I think you were looking at it like I was, like who's in more in the right. And I kind of look at it like broke a broken clock. And Brian Kemp's the grandfather clock that sits on the wall that broke, but yeah, twice a day it's right. And, and, and in you know treating the Georgia elections. With, you know, some respect to democracy, he's right in this. Uh, Donald Trump's the digital clock was just blinking 12 o'clock after a, you know, lightning storm. It's never right. Um, Or actually, it's just all like, you know, every number on the thing flashing, whatever. It's just totally broken. That's how I was looking at it, like who was right and and did the right thing in the elections. And Donald Trump, of course, just wants what he wants. But, Tim, I will say I think you're right in that in this political feud – more Georgia Republicans are going to side with Donald Trump and not right. um, not uh, Brian Kemp. Catherine, I'll allow you to speak on Tim's assertion now.
3: On Trump or on Abrams?
2: Well, just we well, both. You can talk about both. You can take it all.
3: I think I think he makes a really good point that Abrams is the winner in this. Um, I mean, I think she's in a winning stance anyway. But I think this just adds to uh her influence. Um, you know, I, I I mean I get that Trump's, you know, very influential, but I also feel like um in Kemp's universe, which is primarily Georgia, with some with some national recognition, but not it's not that important I think he has more influence than Trump does in Georgia. Um, maybe he's not as well liked, but he certainly has more uh, control over what's happening but the other thing is it's kind of ridiculous that that Trump oh, well of course it's ridiculous because Trump said it but you know, for the most part, for the most part, Kemp has been carrying Trump's water for years, for, for, this, for the full four, four years. So, you know, typically, you know, he just responds to what's happening at this moment. And, uh, I mean, he was, you know, Kemp was uh, right alongside him as far as the response to coronavirus. Um, you know, he supported him when he ran for president, you know, so uh, not surprisingly, it was it's kind of a ridiculous remark. Yeah,
2: I mean, it's its a weird situation for Brian Kemp to be in. I'll say this, I think if um, he were to somehow – he's probably going to get primaried now, and if he gets primaried and he withstands that primary challenge – the fact that he, you know, had this problem with uh, Donald Trump and showed that he'll, you know, for once, uh, possibly run a free election. Uh, twenty eighteen still a question mark? Um, that, you know, maybe this helps him. No matter who his opponent would be in twenty twenty two, but if he gets primary and he loses, um, and and then it's going to be, who is the person that beats him? How did they run their campaign? And then it could be that. It could be somebody that would be easier for Stacey Abrams or the Democratic nominee. Should it be someone else to defeat, or it could be someone even crazier? And 2022 is such a wave year for Republicans that they could, you know, elect you know Marjorie Green governor. Um, and I do think she is. I think she aspires to a higher office. I don't think that's the one. I think it's more Doug Collins, but that's kind of my fear with 2022, and that's why I think Stacey Abrams really has to look at her political prospects because 2022 may be such a wave year, and we just don't know yet how things are going to go. But if it's like it's been for a lot of uh, Democratic presidents, their party does poorly in the first midterm election that they're president, and so – that would not bode well for any Democrat in a state that's uh, emerging purple. What do you think, Tim?
0: I disagree because having looked at the progression of elections, especially governor's elections uh, since 2006, it didn't—you know—it didn't matter what was going on, who was in Washington, or whatnot. The same thing was happening each time. And what was happening is that the trend was toward the Democrats every last time. And you talk about a unified, fired-up base. Stacey Abrams has that. She has a base in this state to rival anybody's, including Donald Trump. If she faces a fractured Republican Party, I, I, I don't see how they can win that race no matter what is going on around the country.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's there's going to be a race to be run and seen because some people are saying that the uh, midterm elections may start to favor Democrats um, because their voters are now more educated, more motivated, just in the general, you know, just natural sense. And some of these new Republicans that you know go out and buy the stuff under the tent in the gas station; those are going to be low information. Harder to turn out voters And it's going to be like some of the Democratic base used to be And so the parties are going to kind of switch In how they do midterm elections That is all speculation at this point Because we haven't seen enough cycles um, Under this new dynamic Catherine what do you think?
3: Um, I think Tim makes a good point About um, the changing demographics In Georgia And the fired up base um, I think one of the things that will give us more information about that is how our turnout is for the runoff, um, and so I, I think you know each each um, event that happens gives us more information about what we can expect going forward. Um, but I think we're poised pretty well for for twenty twenty two. But, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. You know, how long is the pandemic going to last? You know, what's the economy going to do? Uh, all, those, all those things have such an impact on what happens in two years. So it's really, it's really hard to predict. But I do think we start out with a strong, uh, inspired, and engaged uh, Democratic um, ground game. Yeah,
2: I, I just I, – I do worry always because a lot of times the economy will be better under Democrats than it was under the previous Republican, and we don't get rewarded for it. And, and I, I but, cannot imagine a world in which 2022 the, the virus will not have a vaccine and be but, contained. Um, and then, but, of course, that's going to bring the economy back.
0: Uh, Tim? But But then there's this thing with Trump. If he is still in a range war with Governor Kemp and you are a hardcore Donald Trump supporter, are you going to be inspired then to go out and vote for Governor Kemp, who Donald Trump is trashing daily? I would say there's no way. But you know that that seems to be you know what goes on around the country. That's why so many Republican office holders are fearful of Donald Trump. They're fearful of a backlash from his base. And I just have the feeling that if they're still going at it, this just I I don't see how Kemp could could even survive a primary. David, what do you think, buddy?
2: You know it's it's going to be interesting. I think Catherine's saying is. A lot of the establishment Republicans, the people that have been running the Republican Party in Georgia, they're still with, you know, uh, Brian Kemp. They were there before Donald Trump showed up on the scene. And if that's the people that come and vote in the primary, he's in pretty good shape. If it's these new, you know, they love the Trump rally. They'll fly the Trump flag. they, uh, they run, they put them on the back of their trucks and run down the road.
3: Well. Those folks.
2: That's the people that'll give Brian Kemp well, more trouble, you, both you, in the primary and if they decide and they're true. like we're seeing
0: low turnout
2: you, voters and you. they just don't turn out for him in general. That causes a problem too.
0: Yeah, well, see, you you just described with the first group the 28 counties of the metro area, and in that second group, the group to look out for in Republican primaries. You described the other 131 counties, including the counties that you and I both live in. And picture in some of the people I know that are just blind Trump loyalists. I I just, you know, Governor Kemp's got a problem. He he does. He has a real problem here. Yeah, he he
2: took a slam dunk primary and has made it very possible work. I think Doug Collins... Is the person to watch in all this, Catherine? Do you think Doug Collins is done, if you will?
3: Oh, I don't. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I don't think he's done any. He's had any, you know, horrible errors that will would force him out. It's just a matter of, you know, where there's room for him, where he fits. Like if you are suggesting he run for governor, that's probably something that would. Makes sense um but no i don't think he's you know ruined because he didn't win the win this race i don't think so
2: yeah i, I think he's kind of built up some cachet um okay if kelly leffler loses then somebody's gonna have to run against Raphael warnock and, and that becomes a possibility but if she wins then primary and her doesn't make a lot of sense the two people that are gonna get primaried are most likely Brad Rathensburger, everybody thinks he's you know, toast. And then now Brian Kemp, which would yep. Doug Collins be do the Secretary of State's race, not a step down, but he could have uh, you know, aspire to more, if you will. Um, I didn't realize Brad Rathensburger was sixty five years old. Um mm. he doesn't I guess he won't say he's young, he just I didn't realize he was um, you know, that far along uh, Given that he's kind of a new face on the scene um,
0: You better be
3: careful um, What the, you say about people who are 65 well,
2: Yeah, really But, you know, okay Everybody wants to say Joe Biden's old But he's been around forever it, It's a different story I'm talking about, you know, to start his career um, Well, um, Tim Your thoughts on what, you know Does Doug Collins fit into this puzzle?
0: Yeah, and and I think uh, the governor's race might just be the place for him. And let's don't forget that he's sort of a favorite of Donald Trump. He carried uh, more water for Donald Trump than Gunga Den up there in Washington. And and I think absolutely he is someone that Trump would jump right in behind and even encourage to run if he were still going at it with Brian Kemp. And right now, I don't see why he's not going to be going at it with Kemp. Absolutely Collins is going to fit in somewhere. Absolutely his career is not over. Um he he might even go into journalism because he's he's a pretty good speaker even though you don't like anything that the man has to see. He also has a pretty good life story. So yeah, he's he's gonna figure in somewhere in politics and maybe uh maybe to run as governor in two years.
1: Yeah, I mean it
2: kind of makes sense in that um Kenny Lawler's people already don't like him. And therefore, she was appointed by Brian Kemp. So therefore, you know, lining up against Kemp and that is not going to hurt him um, if he goes in that direction. Uh, And it's just two years down the road. He would have to start raising money, planning a campaign pretty quickly uh, because, you know, unless he wanted to go back and get his house seat or in redistricting, which will come up. They somehow figured out how to carve a. New district for him, and let the guy with the assault rifle on his signs um, maintain the seat that Collins had before. Uh, Since Georgia's not gaining a seat, uh, most likely, I guess the census numbers hadn't officially come in, but everybody's projecting it'll stand pat. um, It's hard to see that, you know, that would be the opportunity for him. Uh, Well, let's – kind of get into this discussion, I don't know how far I they had a poll that showed 53% of Republican voters would vote for Donald Trump in 2024, and then um, Mike Pence had nine, and I'm saying, okay, what world is it that Mike Pence would try to run against Donald Trump in a primary, knowing that he owes his claim to fame um, to Donald Trump, picking him out of relative obscurity? Uh, so I kind of thought, well, that gets Trump closer to sixty percent of the vote. Um, Catherine, do you really think Donald Trump will make a run in twenty twenty
3: four? Oh man, I can't even imagine. I, it's hard for me to, <laughs> you know, I don't, I, I don't um, understand his uh, him at all. So it's hard for me to imagine either way. I can't, you know, I can certainly see. That he's driven for some reason, um, but at the same time, how old will he be? Like
2: seventy four Now, I think I think
3: he's 74. Oh, seventy-four. So be seventy-eight. So almost, yeah. Um, I I think it depends on if he does do uh, some kind of media thing, if that's successful and i think he'll have to decide pretty quickly if uh if he has a successful you know next chapter that he can close the chapter on the presidency but um,
2: yeah i think you've started I don't, I don't some know. great topics and some great strands which we'll come back to uh but right now i want to welcome onto the show our guest for the evening for the first time, the copy chief of Sports Illustrated and a wonderful writer in her own sense, Miss Julie Kliegman. Welcome, Julie.
1: Hi, how's it going?
2: Excellent. Well,
1: Julie, I know I
2: got you to come on the show, David, but we've also got my co-host, Catherine and Tim. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start off the questions with Catherine, and then I'm going to get the cleanup questions, if you will, this evening. So I'm going to pass you on to Catherine right off.
3: Great. Hi, Julie. Th- thanks so much for being with us. I hope you had a pleasant Thanksgiving hold up in your house or whatever, like all of us. <laughs> um, <laughs> thanks. You too. Thanks. Um, so I just want to introduce your, you to our listeners. You're a Sports Illustrated writer, but you, you also write for Washington Post, Vox, uh, PolitiFact. Uh, I missed a big one. Oh, BuzzFeed. Um, and, some of our listeners are going to be like why do we have a sports
1: illustrator
3: writer on <laughs> our show tonight um but you wrote this wonderful very uh detailed and lengthy article about the Atlanta um NBA uh, WNBA team and so we wanted to talk to you about that but I also want to mention that you are also a huge SpongeBob fan, I, I understand. So I am. if you ever want to talk about, if you want to talk about that, you're welcome to. But I think we're going to focus on the uh, Atlanta Dream first. <laughs> so Sounds I'm good. going to pass it to Tim, I'm going to pass it to Tim to start out. It may come back to me for a question, but first we're going to go to Tim and then David and then maybe back to me. Thanks again for joining us yeah. tonight. We really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Tim? Good evening, Judy. Thank you for being on with us tonight. Um,
0: it's a very interesting uh, article you wrote um about uh, the WNBA, the Atlanta Dream, and uh uh Senator Leffler. So um Raphael Warnock was one of twenty one candidates in the race and he was uh languishing in low single digits. We talked a lot about that on this show, and suddenly uh, the conflict came up between Senator Leffler and the WNBA players, and they seemed to coalesce around Raphael Warnock, and all of a sudden, he began to surge in the polls. Um, do you think that perhaps they were at least partly responsible for his surge in the polls? I
1: definitely think so. Um, it's hard to know how much they they should be credited with that. But definitely they put his name on a national stage, and you see all these images of them wearing well, Warnock shirts. I mean, you got to figure some people are going, well, who's Warnock? And, you know, looking into him from that.
0: Uh-huh. And and why did Senator Leffler, do you think, decide that picking a fight about these issues with the WNBA players would be, oh, a political winner? Shall we say?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um I without reading her mind, um, I, I think it probably had to do with um her battle with Doug Collins and her kind of wanting to seem more um conservative, uh trying to out conservative Doug Collins. And that mm-hmm. mean um, that you know, that entails distancing herself from this league that's very liberal, that's very outspoken. Um, that really doesn't align with um, the voters she's trying to court. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, uh, the WNBA is known to have very a very devoted fan base that, that really go out to see them no no matter what no matter where they are in the standings and that's that's even been true in Atlanta with a team that hasn't done that well. But mm-hmm. as a result of this conflict. Do you see where the Dream franchise or any other franchise has been damaged in any way in the eyes of its fans as a result of all this?
1: I don't think so. I mean I think um I, I think the league as a whole it got dinged a little bit for not trying to force Leffler out of her ownership of the dream. But as far uh-huh. as the dream itself as far as the team itself, I, I don't think they were damaged in any of this. In fact, I think they looked pretty good in the end.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. And and with that, I am going to send it over to our host. Take it away, David.
2: Yes. Well, Julie, I this has been one of the things I've been the most uh, fascinated by in this political season, um, this whole relationship with Kelly Leffler and the Dream. And I want to go back before – um, she ever gets tapped by Brian Kemp to serve in the United States Senate. How was the relationship between the Dream Players and the staff and Kelly Luffler?
1: By all accounts, it was good. I mean, uh, several Dream Players had mentioned being over to her house for dinner. Um, she was pretty silent on Black Lives Matter and all that. So I it sounds like the relationship was amicable before, you know, before she was a
2: senator and before this all came up with Warnock. Yes, because we have kind of as a model uh, the one single – well, before now, we had one single owner for the Falcons and the um, United, Arthur Blank. And the way he runs a team is kind of seen for the model for the other franchises. And he doesn't do things like Kelly Loeffler does um, by any (laughs) means, or at least since she's been in Senate. Well, she's a co-owner her and another uh woman they co own the team. Has there been any mm-hmm. strength in their relationships because of this?
1: with her and the other owner um you know yes. i'm not I'm not totally sure about that um i That's something I don't really feel like I can speak to yeah
2: well that's understandable i just uh it's just because this is a product, and this product's obviously not stronger because of what she's right. done. You wouldn't think, right? Um, well, if Kay Leffler wins or loses, uh, can the relationship be repaired with the Atlanta Dream, or will she have to, you know, sell the team, or if she um, maintains ownership and then people still see her as the lady that was not uh, at all in tune with the causes of the WNBA? Will players avoid the team?
1: Yeah, I I don't think the relationship is uh, reparable, really, no matter what, because once you come out and say that you're not on board with Black Lives Matter, like she has, uh, that's pretty much a deal breaker for these black players.
0: Yeah,
2: so... um... Well, so either way, win or lose, I mean, obviously, she's busy with the Senate campaign. It's going to be over for two years or over for good, uh, conceivably, uh, after January 5th. Does does she get to selling her interest in the team quickly, or or any idea what that process might look like?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I'm sort of wondering the same thing. I mean, you'd think she'd want to get out and the WNBA I mean other parties definitely want her out even if they're not willing to push her out um so if I were her I would get out sooner rather than later
2: yeah one question you may not know but it's just a thought is um the new Hawks owner he's on the team for about a year or two uh Tony Ressler I believe his name may be um He seems to be real dynamic and, you know, doing a lot with the Hawks, and he may want to expand his uh, portfolio. Any chance he would be interested in owning her half of the team and doing more synergy between the Dream and the Hawks?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure, but that's a great question, and it it seems like that would be a great idea. I mean, you see – I'm in New York, right, and you see it working out in Brooklyn with uh, the same owners for – the Brooklyn Nets and the New York Liberty. And that works out really well. So, you know, maybe something is like that maybe something like that could be in the works. Yeah,
2: and then speaking to that, the 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 dream moved recently and they play in an arena in College Park that um the Hawks built for their um D League franchise, the Skyhawks. And so they now kind of have that relationship together. They used to both play in Phillips and then the Dream moved to the Georgia Tech arena. And now they've moved to the Skyhawks, uh, the co-arena, because honestly, I mean, the Dream's probably the bigger of the two franchises, that and the D-League team. Right. But the Hawks own the arena. Um, Has Kelly Loeffler's political statements impacted her relationship with the Hawks? Because, like, you know, the NBA players were very vocal uh, this summer after um, the incident in Kenosha.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah, I, I can't imagine that the NBA players would welcome Kelly Leffler with open arms after you know everything that's <laughs> happened with Black Lives Matter, and you know the the men in the NBA increasingly are you know standing up for their sisters in the WNBA. So uh, it would be really surprising if the NBA embraced Kelly Leffler at all.
2: Yeah, well, um, one final question about all this. I know you interviewed um, a lot of the. Uh, Dream players and WNBA players, and kind of what were their thoughts just in general about Kelly Loeffler and her in the Senate?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, they don't love it. Uh, They don't – there's, you know, no love lost between the players and um, Kelly Loeffler, and they're particularly unhappy about her um, anti-trans bill that would – that, you know, is seeking to prevent um, trans girls and women from playing sports with cisgender girls and women. Um, that, you know, that would never pass in the Senate and the House, but that was a particular uh, sore spot for these players.
2: Yes, it just seems like a, a just she's kind of just laid waste to her team for the good or the perceived good of her Senate career. Um, Our campaign for whatever reason Well Catherine did you have more questions For Julie or
3: Sorry I was on mute Um, I have one question Sure Um, Julie do you know how they uh, You know there were so many candidates Running in that um, Primary or or General we call it a jungle General um, (laughs) Because there were Democrats and Republicans Do you have any idea how they Arrived at their support for um, Reverend Warnock. Yeah, because he um, was really I, kind. Of, you know, there were a lot of candidates, and hmm. I just wondered if there was any intel on that.
1: Yeah. So uh, what happened was uh, Sue Bird, who is a star of the Seattle Storm and also holds a role in the players' union, um, the black players kind of let her know at some point that, like, <laughs> hey, this is. This is really important, but, you know, it's, it's very draining for us to, you know, argue with someone who doesn't support Black Lives Matter. And so Sue, as one of the leading white players in the league, took this on, took on this responsibility uh, of fighting this fight. And she actually vet different candidates and held a Zoom with um, Raphael Warnock and, you know, kind of vetted him before he became their candidate of choice. So there was it sounds like a lot of research involved.
3: Oh well, that's really interesting mm-hmm. that 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 someone else that I, I, that's, that that makes a lot of sense. Thank you. That that was my my last question. Back to you, David.
2: Sure, that was a, a interesting piece of information that they did that. And by the way, that brings up something totally non related to politics. But uh, Subert, I know she plays for the Seattle Storm, and they're one of the more successful franchises. And Seattle doesn't have an NBA franchise. Um, do you think the success of the Seattle women's franchise might help them either get an expansion team or get a team to move back to Seattle?
1: Absolutely. And, you know, you know, there's a market for it. And I think people are still uh, bitter about the Sonics leaving. So I think Seattle is absolutely proven. It can support a basketball team. So, you know, why not? I think it'd be great to see.
2: Yeah. Um, Julie, I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm not hearing anything, uh, guys. Was it me that just
0: lost her, or did everybody lose her? Yeah, she, yeah, she, she. gave a complete answer, David. You okay? I'm sorry. It was,
2: must have been my uh, board or something, and I apologize, Julie. I'm glad that everybody got to hear you, and I'll <laughs> finish that up. Well, well, Julie, just uh, just to leave our listeners, um, we know that you're writing all the time at m- multiple uh, publications. Uh, and, of course, you're on social media. Tell our listeners where they might um, access your different writings.
1: Yeah, so um, I'm on Twitter at J.M. Kliegman. That's K-L-I-E-G-M-A-N. Uh, so that's the best place to check me out. Uh, tweet your SpongeBob opinions at me, especially about the SpongeBob <laughs> musical. Um, <laughs> so that's that's definitely the best place to follow my work on Twitter.
2: Yes, good deal. Because, um, like Catherine went over, there's a multitude of publications that you've written for, and so um, not just about you know Sports Illustrated, but other things too. So we want Paul to be able to read those. Um, and you have a website as well, if I'm not mistaken.
1: I do. It's uh, JulieKleigman.com.
2: Yes. Julie, we always are let, allowing our guests to promote themselves as much as they can, because if you're taking your time to be with us, we want to help you all we can.
1: Thanks so much.
2: Yes. Well, thank you again for your time, Julie.
1: Yeah, thank, thank you. you all. I appreciate it.
2: Yes. Well,
0: thank you, ma'am.
2: Right. Julie Kligman of uh, Sports Illustrated, Copy Chief, and many other publications, uh, BuzzFeed, Vox, I believe, uh, so many. And, of course, look at her website, and you can uh, get an idea of different publications. Um, But that was some really interesting information about that relationship because I think it's one of the unique angles of that Senate race that other races didn't. Well, Catherine, you started us off with a lot of different um, avenues on Donald Trump's future, and I think you're right about that media um, uh, idea he has. Uh, Tim, do you think Donald Trump runs in
0: 2024? Uh, If if you just put a gun to my head and said, is he going to run, I would say yes. But, you know, here's the problem the Republicans have – Not whether he runs or doesn't run, but if he just doesn't say for a long time. I mean, if he says, yeah, I'm going to run, well, everybody knows in the field, clear. You know, guys, people don't waste their time because they're not going to beat him. Uh, And if he says, yeah, I'm not going to run real fast, well, then, you know, 20 candidates can, you know, make their plans right now. But what if he doesn't say either way? What if he teases? It freezes everything in place. And then say, you know, six months before the primaries, he says, oh, by the way, I'm not going to run. Well, it would just wreak havoc in that party. So that, that's the danger, I think, if, if he just doesn't say either way.
2: Yes, um, I think you're right. He can freeze the field out, and I think he likes yep. that power. Even if he knows that he's not going to run, I could see him, you know, wanting to be kingmaker, queenmaker, and he would um, freeze the field out and act like he's going to run and then not run, and then whoever he wants to pick, be it Ivanka, Little Bond or you know, Christy Noem or Ron DeSantis or somebody out of that, you know, Trumpian mold. He could then, you know, kind of install them, if you will, if he thought that far apart. Or he could just say, I'm not running, and they would have a shorter primary that was probably very chaotic, um, Mm -hmm. you know, with a lot of intensity. That wouldn't necessarily, I guess, be a bad thing. Let's say he, you know, he says, and he may, the, the rumor is, is on Inauguration Day, Joe Biden will have an inauguration that will probably look like no other, no other in the media's age. Where it's going to be very small because of the pandemic. And then he's going to go somewhere and have some monster rally. And of course, if he gets, you know, 15,000 people and Joe Biden has 15 people in his family uh, there to witness taking the oath, then he's going to, you know, that's going to mean something in Trump world um, to him. And he says, I'm going to run in 2024. Catherine, does somebody step up? From the non-Trump wing of the party And say enough is enough We're going to stand against you In a unified effort
3: Oh boy <laughs> I think um, You know I would like to think That someone would Or but it would have to be a um, You know A caucus of people It couldn't just be one you couldn't know, just be Mitt Romney or, you know, or the Lincoln guys. Um, it's really hard for me to understand what it will be like. What what post Trump Republican Party looks like. Post, excuse me, post President Trump. Um, it's really hard for me to um, sort of imagine. I think a lot of the Republicans who have been – I mean, there's all kinds of stories now that um, I guess Carl Bernstein has, like, 20 Republicans who have, have ex- expressed frustration and unhappiness with um, the president, but they won't come out in public. Um, so I think it just it's going to really depend on how people are feeling about his influence with his base. Once he's out of office and I, I just really don't have a good sense of that. The other thing you have to think about is, I mean, the man's not that healthy. Like, is he really going to be in um, a position physically and mentally to run for president in four years? Um, and will we be able to tell if he is? So I, I think um, there's just so many um, questions that i think a lot is going to depend on what he does you know sort of immediately like six months from like until the end of june or july of 2021 to see what he does and how much influence he continues to have but at that point they're going to i mean they're going to, have to start running so um it'll be it's going to be a an interesting and challenging uh Forward To
2: 2024 I think Yeah Catherine You say he's not that healthy I think it's a, a tricky thing with him I think he lives a very Unhealthy lifestyle No exercise Terrible diet um, Obviously taking the pandemic seriously But for some reason And this is one of the few things I think that Dr. Ronnie Jackson was right about I guess despite all that He is healthier than he ever should be. Um, maybe that deal with the devil, that was part of it. Um, but, I mean, it's something weird. I mean, like, anybody in his age and condition should have had much more of a struggle with coronavirus, even with that um, Reg- Regeneron um, well. treatment. And so you think, well, why? something's up there
0: that he's able to –
2: uh, not have any more problems well, that he's had. Tim?
0: Well, I mean, for one thing, both of his parents live to be elderly. That yeah. That is the plus. Another plus is Donald Trump has never smoked. Donald Trump also does not drink. Uh, so, you know, the bad habits that others have, uh, his only bad habit is he's he, you know, he can't pass a golden arches without turning in, uh, and and the fact that he really doesn't get any exercise, you know, that what they say he is six three and two forty. Yeah, right. And my black dog over there is actually green. Uh, I mean, come on. Um, you, you know, we were talking about what Trump might do after. You know, January 20th. I think one thing to look out for immediately, uh, you you know, the Republican National Committee has to elect officers again. I'm going to predict right now that Ronald McDaniel is going to run for reelection, and that is Trump's hand picked person. If you see that happen and her prevail, that means he's got control. Of the Republican National Committee, and then he can pretty much go ahead and do anything he wants to do for that party, right?
2: Yeah, I think that will be an important signal. Now, I did hear that Don Jr. was trying to consolidate power in the RNC, and I don't know if that meant he wanted to be chair or he just wanted to kind of pull more strings of Chairwoman McDaniel. Um you know but I read that as well and if Donald Trump then I don't know if there's you know and I don't know how the structure of their party works if there's committee people that get elected at the national level or people get elected to the state and get sent up more like the Democratic Party and if and how much will Don Jr be involved in all that cuz honestly it's probably a lot of work and that's not anything that a lot of the Trump family's known for is you know really just Tedious, uh, time-consuming work, um, and so that'll be interesting. How much does Don Jr. get involved, and is that to keep his father installed, or is that to become the successor and not someone else? Um, Catherine, what do you think about you know who controls the RNC?
3: Well, of course that's going to be important, and I think Tim makes a great point. Point, in you know, looking at who does get installed and what their relationship is with um, Trump. Um, But you also make a good point about, you know, the other, the other, um, you know, worst outcome is if um, they just start pushing Don Jr. as the potential candidate for 2024. And Trump, Trump, you know, Knights him as his sir, and he starts, you know, using the Trump pulpit to promote himself, and his father helps him.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's going to be – he wants it more than anybody else.
3: Now, talking about successor, that
2: that poll that they did showed uh, Mike Pence with like 9 percent, and like I told you all, I don't see a world in which he runs against Donald Trump. Um, Does Mike Pence have any political future left, Tim?
0: No, I think he's gone as far as he's going to go unless he wants to go back to Indiana and be something there. Uh, you you know, vice presidents don't historically become president very much. There's a reason for that. They're in a thankless job or you know, they, they don't make a lot of headlines. That's not their job to make headlines. It's their job to be a loyalist for the president and, and to sit by the phone in case, God forbid, anything should happen to the president and to break a tie vote in the Senate and and that's about all they do, so they don't get seen a lot. And Pence is not a very energetic sort of fella anyway. And even if Donald Trump departs the scene, I do not see Mike Pence ever getting the Republican nomination.
2: Catherine, your take on Mike Pence's future.
3: Yeah, he I, I just don't see him as presidential material. Uh, I agree with Tim. Uh, he, he's uh, he's not. Of course, I never thought Donald Trump was presidential material either. But um, I, I don't I don't see him um, getting a big following. I don't think he's that compelling. So yeah, I think his future is probably over.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think you're you're right about him not being that compelling. That's a very nice way to put it. Um, and, and I think Tim, you're right about the fact that he's just not GOP nominee material. I mean, he's more presidential material than Donald Trump, as far as like being able to actually. Well, the job.
0: again, again but, that black dog I keep mentioning, laying over here at the foot of my bed, is more presidential than Donald is too. So, <laughs> right, that's, yes. that's not a big endorsement.
2: But the thing is, is, is if you can't get a nomination, you can't be president. And the right. new Republican Party seemingly wants a sizzle and a star factor and a you know on the libs in your face, you know that kind mm-hmm. of thing. I think that's going to be – in the short term, that's going to be something the Republican Party is really going to function on is this how um, inflammatory can you be to the other side, and that's just not Mike Pence's style in any way, shape, or form, and he won't do well in the Republican Party.
0: And I got a question for y'all. We're talking about what Donald Trump's going to do after January 20th, and and – You you have both witnessed And we've talked about it on here How he is really not happy With Fox News And he is letting it be known All over Twitter and, And any other way that he can So I got this Feeling that he may make A move To Shall we say Take control Of not only the party But to take over all the conservative media outlets and just just control the messaging of conservative media, do you think that's something that Donald Trump might try to do
2: Start his own media company. you mean
0: No, I mean just take over conservative media not just not just branch out and do his own media, but just dominate the media that's out there now.
2: Well, and that's what he's kind of been doing. He's been, you know, giving TV tips. Um, you know, used to we had the TV guy to tell you what Rudy was on and uh, what their opinion was on networks, but th- that seems to be what he spends his time on is what AON has on and how Fox News is terrible now and everything. Else. I think everybody thinks that he's going to uh, match up with Newsmax or OAN and kind of. Put his brand onto one of those two networks, and then try to make a venture out of it. Even if he ran in twenty twenty four, I guess then he could put that in the you know the non blind trust and Eric or you know Don Junior Ivanka whoever would run it, um, and of course that would just become you know state television. Although he's not the state luckily anymore at that point, um, but he would just kind of run that. Uh, And the big deal is which one's he going to choose, because if he chooses Newsmax, OAN has no future, and if he chooses OAN, Newsmax has no future. And you notice I did not mention Fox. Um, I don't know where they're because seemingly he doesn't have enough money to buy into them, and therefore he's just got to trash them and tear them down. Uh, Catherine, what do you think about Donald Trump and the media landscape?
3: Um. I think he might just, like Tim said, he might just make himself ever present and, you know, do his rallies and um, not necessarily buy into a media company, but just be omnipresent and, you know, do all this stuff and just garner attention.
2: Yeah, and when I say buy, I don't necessarily mean buy with money. I mean buy with his name. Because I think that's how Donald Trump would want to function. He would want to just lend his uh, name and endorsement, then that would but give him shares of what is seemingly probably a low money investment right now that would then surge and take more of, you know, Fox's news profile at that point. Um, you know, Donald Trump seems to care as much about money as anything else, even though sometimes he's not very good at keeping it, or making it, or paying it back. Um, he <laughs> wants to definitely, you know, act like it's art of the deal, and he helped, you know, make um, all this money for whatever company. I think making one of these two networks, because that's going to be a lot easier than you know starting a third one from scratch. Although if he did start a third one, that would blow past those two, and. Fox News would just – I mean, right now, if he decides to really do this, I don't know what Fox News' play is, honestly. Um, I don't know where they get left in this whole thing. Tim, do you have any idea if Donald Trump throws in or endorses or somehow puts his weight behind Newsmax, OAN, or you know, vacillates between the two, what does that do to Fox
0: well, it doesn't help him, especially if he freezes them out. Let's say he quits calling in to Fox and Friends, and starts calling in to Newsmax and OAN, and sends his whole family over there to be interviewed by only them, and suggests to his loyalists in the party, both elected and with the RNC, that that they. Uh, ...shift and head over there, and of course they would comply and do it. I don't see how Fox... uh, I I, I don't see really how Fox could uh, find a niche to fit into. They've always sold themselves... As the conservative answer to the other networks, well, they couldn't do that now with the dominant force in the Republican Party uh, dancing with another partner, could they? So I have another question for you. Uh, I I think we're agreed that if Trump wants to, he, for in the near future, can be the dominant force and the guiding light, as it were, of the Republican Party. It's Donald Trump's party even after he leaves office. So uh, what does that mean for Congress? Uh, You know, he's not going to want any mavericks up there working with Democrats and stuff like that. So does that mean it's going to force congressional Republicans to, like, actively work to destroy Biden's presidency or Uh, What is Congress going to do now if Donald Trump maintains control of the Republican Party? That's a really good question. Mitch McConnell did
2: in uh, January 2009. They sought to basically destroy Obama's presidency the day he took the oath of office. In 2009, Washington was probably a more bipartisan, friendly place – than it is in january of 2021 um in that Uh intervening 12 years things got worse um not better and mitch mcconnell was a lot of the driving force to that and and he's still there and the house members Uh nobody could ever keep them in control since 2010 when the the uh, freedom caucus and tea party started electing members um
3: Mm-hmm. So therefore,
2: I, I don't think Congress will be friendly at all. And will they want to just not go on Fox and stuff anymore? I, I don't. I don't know what Fox News' play is. I do think well, one of the news networks can make a play to try to become old school information, think uh, headline news, or Walter Cronkite or David Brinkley from way back when, where it was. Facts based and not as much personality. One network could choose—I don't know if they will—but they could choose to try to become that type of news network. CNN's probably the most likely character. If they don't, I guess Fox could try that. Um, I, I, they wouldn't get much from the middle, and certainly nothing from the left, as far as viewership for in, for unless they really you know play the long game to rebuild that uh, reputation. Um, but the media landscape is going to be something interesting to follow because I don't think what we're doing now is healthy for our democracy, and I don't know how long it can be sustainable. Tim, did you have another uh, question for Catherine?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I was I was going to ask Catherine, uh, you, you know, to jump in and answer this: Can Joe Biden have an effective presidency if he has a a Republican Party that's just out to get him from day one up there?
3: That is one of my biggest fears Um, between that and this um, this conflict over the election. And this uh, I think there's going to be a lot of people who just don't believe he was duly elected. And so he's going to have trouble getting over that. And then if he has a Republican Party that is, you know, blocking him at every at every move, then I think we, we're going to have the same kind of trouble we, we've had in the past. The only thing that makes me pause about that is that I think he has some really good relationships with some of those Republican senators. And I'm, I think we're, we're maybe all hoping that those strong, uh, many-decade relationships will help him uh, get through those barriers if they exist. But that's a lot to ask. I mean, that's a lot of work. And it's a lot of work for Joe Biden, not, just, not his team. Like, those are the kind of, you know, those personal relationships have to be handled personally. And so it's a lot of work. Um, but, yeah, that's a big fear of mine. That's one of the reasons that, Georgia is so important um, for, on bo- for both, of, both sides. That's why, we, why everyone thinks it's so important, because hmm. the Senate rests on that. So I think it's going to be an interesting next few months to see how um, President Biden um, negotiates and navigates through these, um, especially these first, you know, 100, 200 days and how it goes. Hmm.
2: Yeah, um, Catherine, I think you're right about Georgia as the key uh, as far as you have plan A and plan B. If you win Georgia, you can probably have more of a robust agenda in the first two years um, to try to do things. If you don't win uh, both seats, you split or you get neither. Um, you – are going to have to have a different kind of plan. But I do think there will be some things that has the wind in his sails. He can have a calm, boring administration, which people are ready for. Um, coronavirus, no matter who is going to be president, will eventually, the scientists are too good, and they will come up with a vaccine. It will get distributed, and that's naturally going to get people back to work. And that's going to be a positive. And so all that mm-hmm. will give people a better feeling about how the country's going, and and if you're in the in the Oval Office at the time all that happens, you're going to get some of the credit. It just that's how it goes. You get the blame when you're in the Oval Office.
0: You get the credit when you're in the Oval Office. So uh, take So the good so, bad. It's, so, so, it, so it's uh, it's not anything spectacular that's going to raise your poll numbers. It's just the perception that things are getting back to normal will be quite enough for most people then right
2: I think it will you know keep him from you know leveling out and seeing horrible approval rating numbers by any means, but will that give mm-hmm. any kind of uh political capital to where he can pass things? I think his approval rating could be eighty percent, and I don't think Mitch McConnell's going to do what he wants.
0: So, Mm.
2: you know, Mitch McConnell just doesn't care. He he just uh, does what he wants to do, Um, and you just get stuck with it. And that's how Mitch McConnell (laughs) operates, and I think that's how some of the Republicans – I think we can have a different discussion or a more informed discussion after January 5th when we know the outcome of the Senate and to what his best plan is. Um, You know, the media discussion – is something that the outcome on January 5th doesn't matter that much. It's going to unfold either way. Um, well, next week we've got our guests lined up. Miles Coleman uh, from Precision Desk and the UVA Center for Politics and all those media sources is going to come on with us, and we'll be glad to have Miles on for the second time. And until then, Ben the Cozy Vine.
3: Good night, y'all. Good night,
2: guys. Good night, everybody.
1: We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America.
3: Has-